time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome back into Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Wherever you get your podcast, be sure to subscribe. You'll get them as soon as they're ready to go for you. This one uh, includes Brian Metzer, intermission and post-game host on the Penguins Radio Network. And I said effusively positive, Mets, because you do. You find you find the silver lining in the clouds. That's why we need you right now, the way things have gone <laughs> up and down with this team. So thanks for making the time. How are you? I'm good. It's great to be here with you, my friend. You know, we we don't often get to to talk pucks these days, but we go way back in talking hockey together. And yes, fun to fun to take part in this with you. And I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Albie Oxenrider and I were just talking about that 2009 Cup, and without getting too nostalgic and waxing too poetic about uh, Sidney Crosby's first Cup, he mentioned talking to Dan Bilesma on the ice that night after the win in Detroit. And I said, you know what? He had asked him, asked Biles, you know, where'd you watch the Super Bowl? Because the Steelers had just won the Super Bowl a couple months previous to that. And I said, he was probably in Wilkes-Barre at that point in time. And here you are, Johnny on the spot with the details of exactly where Dan <laughs> Bilesma was in February of 2009. Well, I can't tell you which pub or tavern he was in, but he would have <laughs> probably still been sitting in Wilkes watching it on February 1st of 09. And then he arrived in Pittsburgh just after Valentine's Day. Uh, ready to take the Penguins on a pretty historic run because, you know, that that season, Chris, is one that you can kind of look at when you're looking for silver linings simply mm-hmm. because they were out of the playoffs in February, which That's is right. just unheard of. And then they rip off the winning that they did and they made the trade to get Chris Kunitz, et cetera, and the rest is history. However, I don't think anybody dreamed uh, whenever Dan was hired that that's how it would play out. No, no, I don't think, uh, you know, we, we had just seen them uh, lose to the Red Wings the year before, and it felt like it was going to be more of an up and down roller coaster kind of ride, maybe through the early years of the Crosby Malkin era. And instead, they stepped on the gas and immediately launched themselves uh, to the first Stanley Cup uh, in 17 years for the franchise. I don't know if at that point, though, they, even that young team, we're playing as poorly within the division as this team is right now. <laughs> One, eight, and three against other Metro playoff teams right now. Carolina, Jersey, the Rangers, and the Isles. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to make of that other than the fact that this team, I mean, I think of Metro division hockey, and they'll play a bunch this weekend. Uh, Flyers aren't in playoff position, but it's still Metro division hockey. I think of Metro division hockey as the kind of that where you've got to buckle down You've got to play good, smart, responsible hockey. And that's something that has just continued to evade this team. I don't know how or why, but it's they just cannot find the consistency, Mets. And I don't know from your perspective what's causing it, but they've got to figure it out between now and the middle of April. Well, they're just a horrible or they're they're horrible at defending this year. I've never seen a Mike Sullivan coach team be so bad in their own zone as this one has been. Uh, They'll have numbers back. There's bodies available. It's not as if they're always odd man situations, which they've hemorrhaged quite a few of those, by the way. Mm -hmm. But there are times where a play comes into the zone and they have five penguins back and they can't defend. They they stand around and puck watch and find themselves watching a play develop right in front of their eyes and then kind of put their goaltender at risk. Now, the goalies could be making a few more saves than they've made as well, but I feel like this team is just not defended well. They specifically can't close games out well. They've blown more third-period leads this year than I can ever remember under Mike Sullivan. And when you look at the situation, um, it, it's a team now that is the worst under Sully, going 20, 
four and five when they go to the third period with a lead, which I mean, essentially that's 13 points they've left on the table. And if they had picked those up, they would be ahead of the Rangers and breathing down the neck of the New Jersey Devils. So, the, you know, you know, under him, Chris, they used to always find ways to get to the third period. If, even if it was a one goal hockey game or they were up by two, especially if they were up by two, like they were right. last night, you would not see them blow that game. They would find a way to close it out. They would limit the whoever they were playing to maybe five shots, three shots, single digit shots. You give up 13 to the Islanders. You give up two goals in four minutes and 14 seconds. Next thing you know, you give them a point, first of all, and then you give them two points whenever you lose in overtime. So it's just, to me, a, a matter of their depth has been exposed. I know they tried to add to it a little bit here, but they just, they just don't defend well. And I don't think they're getting the goaltending that necessarily you need to be a championship club. No knock on Tristan Jari, who's played pretty, pretty solid at times this season. But I don't think uh, Casey DeSmith really did his job when he stepped in as the backup this year. Yeah, and, and it's what made Hextall's moves at the deadline that much more curious. Like, I understood they needed to to do something with the bottom half of the forward lineup, with the third and fourth lines. Totally yeah. on board with with doing what you can. And was it trying to cover up past mistakes by waving Kapanen and McGinn? Sure, I get it. But he, to, to his credit, I, I like bringing in Benino. I like that move. Talked about that plenty with Albie a couple minutes ago. Um, Kulikov, okay. I, I like adding depth to the left side, especially if he were playing in place of a Brian Dumoulin rather than in place of a Pierre Olivier Joseph. I'd rather see him in the lineup still. But what, what was so confusing to me was the Granlund move because the Granlund move doesn't add any more jam or if you want to call it that, any more grit. Um, sure, it, it provides something maybe for your middle six, but it's also a $5 million a year contract on the books for the next two years which makes it a whole lot harder to sign the guy who I think has been the biggest spark plug for this team this year in Jason Zucker. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And now you can, if you wanted to look at the one other tiny sliver of silver lining with the Grandland, it's that he and Zucker have a good relationship and we're line right. for many years in Minnesota. And if you were trying to lure him into staying, you still have 20 plus million dollars available this summer, counting Grandland's contract being on the books. So you have a little bit of latitude there and maybe you say, Hey, this coming season, maybe you play on a line with your buddy. Now that said, right. I, I couldn't agree more with you though. If you wanted to get tougher and you wanted to get more of a blue collar approach to your bottom six, that's not Mikhail Grandlin. I mean, this guy brings a little bit of speed based on the fact that he can get behind the defense. The Penguins witnessed that firsthand the night before they acquired him, mm-hmm. which I was kind of chuckling, thinking to myself, did they do it because of that? Right. And, and I saw people be critical of the speed and say, well, he doesn't really skate fast anymore, Matt. So I said, well, he's certainly faster than everybody on the black and gold right now. I mean, he beat them to a man. <laughs> I mean, exactly. That's what was kind of funny. But he... I, I, you're right. He doesn't bring the jam. He brings a little bit of offensive upside, which is lesser than it had been earlier in his career. That said, he's a guy that's capable of scoring double digit goals. He's a great playmaker. And the one thing I was hoping would happen is that you would see him potentially. And they finally did this last night by shifting Jeff Carter to the wing, taking him out of the center position because he just simply can't do it effectively anymore. He's been a great player in his career, but he's not doing it right now. Granlin could feasibly feed him and maybe unlock him a little bit because he can still shoot the puck a lot. He, he takes a lot of shots still. Most nights he's, you look at the score sheet, he doesn't done much, but he has three shots on goal somehow inexplicably. So maybe this guy could be unlocked by a Granlin, but to your point, he's not tough. Really? He's easy to knock around. He's short. He, he's not a big man. 
Um, and so I don't know that it really adds to what you were doing. Now, I think he and Benino taking the spots of Brock McGinn and Kasperi Kapanen is certainly an upgrade on those two particular players. Right. But you really didn't gain a ton there, even though Benino can kill penalties so effectively. And he has that leadership quality. And as Sully would tell you, he's a cerebral player and all of this kind of thing. But I, I just, I, I tried to look at the Grandland deal after the fact as, okay, why did they find him attractive? What could he bring to the table? But the fact that they cleared cap space the way that they did and then utilized it to pick up that particular player was a big time head scratcher for me. Yeah, it just didn't add up at the time. And even now in retrospect, even when you point out some of the, the positives that could exist there, as you just did, um, it, it still makes you wonder if all of those moves were necessary to pick up. Well, they came they too did. late too, Chris. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. You can't wait till the week of the trade deadline to make those decisions because it, you have to wait 24 hours to even know if you're going to get your cash freed up. And if you listen to a lot of our, you know, reporting buddies in the city, they'll tell you that he had a really realistic chance at getting a Jacob Chikrin had he freed up cap space earlier. And that didn't happen. And obviously Arizona couldn't wait anymore. And they pulled the trigger on a deal because the price had been dropping all week long. And instead, uh, Ronnie uh, Hextall was not prepared with his money. So also it was, regardless of how he did it, that was maddening enough, but you waited too long. I mean, those two guys were essentially anemic all season. You knew it wasn't going to work out. Right. And they waited until the witching hour. Yeah, that's what killed them is if they're more aggressive with those Kapanen and McGinn maneuvers, they've got the ability to go after something earlier. Yeah. Uh, although, again, it sounded like Hextel was trying to wait till the very last minute for prices to drop. And they did in some cases, but mm -hmm. it, it, when, you, when, you, when your goal is to win a cup, when, when you're trying to maximize what's left of the big three and their era together, I think you got to be more aggressive. Um, they do have uh, three against the Rangers in the next uh, seven days or so. They've got the Flyers coming to town. Um, and so it got me to thinking, look, the, when the Flyers are off, the rivalry doesn't quite feel the same as when the Flyers are at the top of their game. And there's certainly a lot more juice between the Pens and the Rangers because of last year's playoff series. So which of these two teams do you think Pens fans hate more? Good old-fashioned sports hate. Which of these two do Pens fans look at right now and they just grind their teeth when they see the Flyers or the Rangers skate into town? I think regardless of where they are in the standings, it's always going to be the the Flyers mm -hmm. <laughs> to a certain extent, just because, as I often say, cross-state hate. When you play the Philadelphia mm -hmm. Flyers and 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 it's the Penguins and they go head to head. I heard Albie mention, you know, the old two niner. If you ask Borky, he would say the Flyers every time, probably <laughs> because he was in so many rivalry games with them and went through that losing streak against them, which you and I remember growing up here in the city. I mean, that oh, was yeah. just wretched to watch. Um, so I, I think it's always going to be the Flyers, though the Rangers with all of those playoff battles in more recent years certainly earned a little bit of that hate, but in knocking the Penguins out of the playoffs in the first round and Marty St. Louis' mom dying and giving mm -hmm. them the strength to kind of come back and beat the Penguins when they were on the cusp of elimination. I think those things agitate, but uh, I would even put the Islanders ahead of the Rangers, though, whenever I'm talking hate uh, more so than saying, I don't know that it's hate with the Rangers so much as it, it is a rivalry for sure, but right. I would rank in, in terms of true hate, Flyers and Islanders, I think. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, they're behind the Islanders now, only by two points in the standings, and they've got those three games in hand, although games in hand don't mean anything if you don't win them. Um, but they don't have any games in hand on, say, for example, 
the Senators or just one game in hand on the Panthers, who they're only four points ahead of now, Ottawa and Florida. Yeah. So that being said, do they end up hanging on for one of these final two playoff spots or not? Well, teams for the longest time this season kept letting them off the hook. I mean, there were times mm-hmm. the Penguins could have been waved down the, the standings and Ottawa was losing some games. Florida lost some games. The Caps obviously lost some games and they're still kind of hanging in, even though they did a lot of selling. But the fact now that the Islanders have heated up, they're going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, they're going to start to pull away a little bit. Ottawa, if you watched any of the Trade Center a week ago uh, from TSN, because it was available on ESPN Plus and some other things, they all but anointed the the Senators, not as cup winners this year, but they said they feel like a team of destiny. And they kind of do a little bit the way that they've heated up, but they're down Talbot again in goal. So that might help. They have Mad Sogard playing some games and um, they'll probably have to shuffle goaltenders a little bit, which could be their undoing. But even that said, they, they have all that young talent. Brady Kachuk is such an awesome player. Uh, they got the Brinkett there, who we all remember from his days playing in Erie and, and just being such a dynamic forward. He's scoring a ton of goals for them. So I think that if the Penguins don't right the ship a little bit here, they could be in some trouble. And when you look at them, Chris, they really only have the 14-2-2 stretch this year that makes them look like a team that could go on some kind of run. Other right. than that, they've largely been a, a 500-type team all season long and had these stretches of, a six game losing streak or a seven game losing streak, which is unheard of under Sullivan. So when you, when you say it all that way, it's easy to see a, a path where they do not make a wild card spot. However, I know Albie said it and, and we all talk about it in the city. When you have Sidney Crosby playing at the level he is and Evgeny Malkin playing at the level he is, I think that they could almost will the Penguins to win enough games to get in, which I feel like you still need probably 23, 20, 22 points to get in, which isn't going to be easy in what the 18 games that they have left. So this is uh, there's not a lot of runway left. They left a lot on the table coming up to this point. The 13 points I mentioned in the blown third period leads is going to bite them in the backside. But all that said, I, I still kind of feel like, if for no other reason than to screw my off-season concert plans, that they will try and make the playoffs here. They know how to stick it to you every spring, Mets. Uh, but we get some hockey out of the deal, so it's an even trade-off, I think. Thanks yeah, for making exactly. the time today, man. I, I really do appreciate it. Um, we'll keep an eye on on how things progress here during what is a huge week. Like I mentioned, the three Rangers games, wrapping up this five-game homestand. And then you, you start to turn the page of the calendar to the following week, and there's that Ottawa Senator, that pesky Ottawa Senators team sitting there as well. So we'll listen yeah. to you uh, on the Penguins Radio Network, and uh, we'll keep up with your vision of how things should play out here down the stretch as well. I appreciate the time. Thanks for having me on, brother. And uh, even though we're on different sides of the pond here, I listen to you guys an <laughs> awful lot. Keep up the great work. I always enjoy it in the mornings, and I follow along with your podcast and everything. So Thanks for having me and let me be a part of it. It's been a while, so it was awesome. Yeah, same here, man. I listen to you whenever I'm in the car and, and can't be at home to watch the game. So uh, keep up the great work, and we'll catch up again soon. You too, my friend. Thanks again for this. Great stuff, as always, from Mets. Brian Metzer, of the Penguins Radio Network. Uh, he makes a good point about the math involved in this thing. If the Penguins continue to blow third-period leads the way they have all year, especially to the teams that are left on their schedule, we're going to be we're going to be talking about a team that's fighting and scratching and clawing just to get into the playoffs. Now, again, just get in and then we'll see what happens, but man, if they slide sideways, if they fishtail their way into the Eastern Conference playoffs, I don't know how long things 
will last. We get a perspective from the other side of the state. The Flyers are coming to town. The Flyers are a mess. The Flyers just fired their GM, but they're still the Flyers. And so we'll get a perspective from the other side of the state. Natalie Eganoff joins me next on Fifth Avenue Faceoff.